Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Azo Network webinar, which is all based on our recent research into the state of scientific marketing. It's a real pleasure to have you all here with us today. And over the next sort of 45 minutes to an hour or so, uh, we're going to be sharing some of the findings of that research with you. Before we get stuck into that, though, just a few points about how to get the most out of the webinar today. The format for today is going to include four mini presentations uh, of some of the key points from the research. And we're going to stop a couple of times and break into Q&A. So please do send in those questions whenever they come to mind. I'm delighted to introduce the, the other members of the ASA Network marketing team. So Rebecca Turpin, who will be talking through some tips for your SEO. We'll get us started in just a moment. Sara Lopez-Segura will be sharing ideas to find the, the right metrics for email marketing. And Frankie Barker, who is joining us from Perth, Australia today, or this evening for him, will be closing the presentation discussing customer acquisition versus retention. My name is Daniel Azel, and as well as moderating the Q&As, I'll also be sharing some ideas to overcome common webinar challenges. Whilst we're not presenting, we will be active in the chat, so please feel free to say hello in there. Let us know where you're joining us from and use it also to share any thoughts as and when they come to mind. A quick note that a couple of us have been suffering a little with the virus this week. Frankie's powering through his jet lag, so we'll try and keep any coughing and fits to a minimum. Um, and to ensure Frankie doesn't nod off, he's going to take things away with one quick slide on the research and what it's all about. Cheers, Danny. Uh, good day from Perth, West Australia. Hi, Alicia from Dortmund. Hi, Sarah from Manchester. Yeah, just a quick one to kick off the survey respondents. So we we surveyed over 140 marketing professionals from leading companies in science, engineering, and healthcare. You can see there's a real spread of industries from life sciences to analysis equipment with you know well, life sciences was only about 15 percent, i think maybe 16 percent. so there's no one dominant industry although quite a few industries do overlap somewhat but yeah all these sort of individual sectors from within science engineering and healthcare on the right hand side you can see the job roles so 65 percent were marketing professionals 10 percent sales and then you've got executives and product or product managers product people so typically a lot of marketing people who wear lots of different hats within those roles but the focus was very much on marketing within science and engineering companies uh, well finally uh, how many employees are in the company typically medium-sized companies uh, so anyone sort of 21 to maybe like 500 people would be the sort of the most likely range with a few people from the multinational companies from, from larger uh, organizations um, so with that, I'm going to pass over to Rebecca, who's going to talk about SEO. Thanks, Frank. Thank you again, everybody, for joining us. I'll be walking through the number one marketing priority identified from our research, which is SEO. The aim of search engine optimization, or SEO, is typically to rank on the first page of Google for search terms that mean the most to your target audience. So 66% of respondents identified SEO as a high or very high priority for 2023. SEO was also rated challenging or very challenging by 47% of the respondents. And with upcoming changes to Google Analytics and Google and other search engines changing their algorithms to favor topic-based content, staying up to date with SEO and what's going on in the world can be quite daunting and frankly, pretty frustrating. SEO is a game of adaptation. There are a couple of key trends that will keep you on top of 2023. So one acronym to remember, to make sure that you remember when creating content is EAT. Expertise can be shown through the use of author profiles and your content. 
show how your contributors are experts in their field through qualifications and experience. Authority is about brand reputation. If people are linking to your website and talking about your website or tagging your brand on social media, you'll be seen as an authoritative figure by Google. Trust is about credibility and authenticity. Do you have an SSL certificate? Is your great customer service shown through online reviews? The key here is creating content that's factual and useful. The most successful websites will be those known for their contributions to their targeted subject matter. This is where your white papers, webinar videos, and thought leadership content is going to shine. Putting across content in a way that showcases your brand's EAT, whilst also being engaging to your audience is crucial. So not only having quality content, but content that's easy to digest, understand, and is useful to the user. So we'll go on to the topic cluster model. This model, which is perfect for content-focused websites, is made up of a single pillar page, which acts as the main hub for a larger topic, alongside the use of related content pages, which link back to the pillar. A site using a content cluster model shows an intentional approach to content creation and authority on the pillar topic, simply by making it easy to understand and navigate for Google. In this example, we see the pillar as the main topic with link cluster content made up of webinars, blogs, videos, interviews, podcasts, and thought leadership pieces. The supporting cluster content all supports the pillar, improving the authority of the hub overall. Examples of pillar pages you can build out are resources or service pages. Guide your user and Google with listed related resources, downloadable connected ebooks and guides, and embedded video links with supporting media. So the brilliant team here at Azo Network offer completely free SEO health checks. So Azo Network have compressed a 22 year span of marketing knowledge into a half an hour slot. It shares actual insights with you that you can take back to your office and make a real difference to your website and your business. The report will show you where there's areas to improve on the website and our SEO team will walk you through exactly what to do to fix those errors, as well as how to avoid making them again in the future. There's some examples here of what that can kind of include from meta titles to H1 tags, your site map, social media buttons and so on. Our team also <laughs> run these health checks in person at a lot of the trade shows. Next year, we'll be at SLAS, Pitcom, Chem UK, Advanced Materials and loads more where you can come and see the team and get an SEO health check in person. If you'd like some more information as well on SEO, there's a brand new ebook available, which is in the resources section of the webinar, which is focused on SEO strategies for 2023. And now we'll go on to Danny, who's going to talk you through webinars. All right, thank you. So as Rebecca's alluded to on a previous slide, the, the market report asks several questions about the, the various tactics marketers will be prioritizing in 2023. But it also asks to, to what extent these tactics would be difficult given your in-house resources, level of expertise, budgets, etc. So I'm going to talk a little bit about where webinars fell on both those scales and then try to offer some, some tips to, to help you. So as you can see, just under half of marketers consider webinars as a high or very high priority for the next 12 months. But at the same time, almost three quarters of them find them to be challenging as well. So if we take a look at some of the close look at some of the common challenges, and we get this from, from this market report, from the conversations we have with clients and from just general work we do. Number one is getting enough signups. Number two is getting the people sign up to turn up. So ensuring a good sign up to turn up percentage uh, and then knowing what to do with all the results and data. So webinar campaigns can provide you with 
uh, sometimes an overwhelming amount of data. So having a plan to manage that is really important. So they're the three common challenges we find. If anyone has anything else or is consistent with that, then please do jot it into the, the chat box and we can perhaps chat a little bit more about that in just a moment. So I'll try to now share a few tips to help you with each of those challenges individually. So if we start by looking at getting enough signups, when we get presented with this challenge, we ask a couple of questions. First, how much time are you leaving to promote the event pre-event? And ideally, you're looking at sort of six to 12 weeks. And then what is your plan post-event with the on-demand promotion? And when we're talking about on-demand promotion, we recommend having three separate plans to enhance your overall reach. So for those who register but don't attend live, send them the recording. Typically, that's what most, most people will do. But then secondly, we can go a few steps further. Secondly, let's contact everyone who attended live, send them the recording, and then try and leverage their positive or hopefully their positive experience by encouraging them to share the link internally or on their other channels. And thirdly, and most importantly, don't forget about all the people who didn't register in the first place. So on the example timeline, we spend six weeks promoting, but then we have many more weeks available to promote after the event. And on average, we're seeing clients achieve sort of 15 to 20% increase in completely new registrations after the live event has finished. So people who don't just finish the event and forget about it, finish the live event, they continue the promotion. And so if they had 500 turn up to the live, they register for the live event, an extra 100 on top of that over the course of the next few months. So we're very big on this period post live event. And it's something we really are seeing some good results when people are putting the focus into it. The next common challenge is, of course, getting people to turn up. And having said what I just said about the on-demand promotion, we still want people at the live event. And there are various things you can do, including your reminder emails. So most webinar platforms will allow you to automate these. And we find sending two, the first one day before the event, and the second 30 minutes or one hour before you go live has the most impact. Reminder posts on your social channels, press releases, newsletters, etc., and getting your account managers or sales to touch base via a call or email to just to remind them about the event. But even with all that, you're still probably looking at a number somewhere between 30 to 60% maximum who will turn up live to your webinars. And so for those that don't show up, getting a key data point during the registration enables you to at least plan the next steps. So there could be a million reasons why someone would register for your webinar, but then not turn up. But if you've asked them a question during the registration, like the example you can see on the screen here, would you like to receive a sample for testing? Then you have a clear next step and action and those who, for those who registered but don't attend or watch on demand. So it's a really, really useful tip, I think, if you want to get those conversations started. Then the big ones. So one of the main benefits of webinars can also be one of the biggest burdens for marketers because got the customer and all this prospect data that you don't know you've got from them but you don't know what to do with so now you can simply hand that over to your that excel sheet over to your sales team and say follow up with them please that is likely not going to go down so well so what we recommend is asking the relevant registration polls and survey questions so that you can understand your individual prospects and their challenges as well as possible the example on screen is from a demo individual profile in ASO Intel and shows sort of 10 to 15 data points to help us segment that individual and decide what to do next. And by asking the right questions, 
you can properly segment your audience into different groups or buckets, as we like to, to say, indicating their stage in the buying journey. So each bucket will require a, a different next step going from left to right. So on expanding their knowledge will benefit from additional educational content, whereas someone who has stated that they are actively in the buying process is, is putting their hand up and saying that we want to talk with your sales team. So having them segmented into those different buckets gives you a much clearer next step to take with each individual post-event or post-webinar. I'll put a link to more webinar resources in the handouts. Uh, do check those out at some point during the webinar today and happy to answer any questions anyone has at webinars during the Q&A. But for now, hand things back over to oh, hand things over to Sarah to talk to us about email. Well, thank you as usual, Danny, for the lovely introduction. I'm Sarah, part of the marketing team here at ASO, and I've come to talk about one of our most interesting finds from this year's survey. I don't know if you've heard anything over the last few years, something about how email marketing is dead and that Apple made a privacy policy was going to be the nail in the coffin. Let's have a look, shall we? Surprise, surprise, despite what everyone's been saying, email is far from dead. This year, we've seen it surpass CRM as the most used marketing technology with almost 70% of marketers using email for their campaigns. So the changes in data protection are mostly pulling us away from vanity metrics and open rate stats and towards a more sophisticated way of measuring success. So click-through rates and conversions are the ultimate data you want to be measuring. But more of this in a sec. In the survey, we also see that 32% of respondents have marked email marketing as challenging. And at the same time, product emails were by far the most popular email type. So this suggests that we have all nailed the product slash shopping window style of emails. But are we really getting the most out of our email communications? So at ASO Network, we have sent over 250 million emails. And just earlier this year, we have analyzed the results. And we found out that the best performing emails answer these three questions. First, who is it from? Who you are, what do you do, which problems do you help solve? Second, very important, what's in it for your audience? How are your services or that particular email campaign going to benefit them? Make sure to make that very clear as soon as possible. And last one, what do they need to do? So having just one clear CTA is ideal and ensure your audience is well segmented and they can convert as seamlessly as possible. And I say segmented because you are or should already be targeting the section of your audience that's more likely to take that particular action. And as a side note, we have also analyzed the subject and descriptions of our emails and identified the best and worst performing words. An email starting with introduction to and your topic was almost 30% more likely to be opened. And on the other side, words like measure or save or anything with a clear selling intention were the worst performers, which makes sense. Our research also shows that changing the email on each send gives better open and click rates. And we're guilty of doing this here in ASO. And since we've started mixing it up, we've seen record clicks and conversions. So you usually get around 70% of your total conversions for a campaign on the first email send with a noticeable drop off on the next few. I'm sure most of you have experienced that. But as you can see on the image from our Salesforce data, on this very webinar campaign, changing things around between each email sent entice more people to convert. 
The picture also shows that just in the first send, we have over almost 70 conversions and while well, you're all responding to these emails. So what happens now? So we are going to see a shift into how we measure success in our email campaigns. Click-through rates may seem like a better way to measure your email efforts than open rate, but both are useful. You can still assign brand awareness value to an open rate where your audience has not clicked through. But make sure each CTA has a referral tag and focus on the leads you get through rather than on the people that open the email. Again, open rates can still give you an idea of how many people have seen the email or know your brand or you and your services, but they're no longer a measure of success. And if you want to find out more about this email research, you can download the full email ebook in the handout section. And that's it, that's all from me. Over to you, Danny. Just please leave any questions you have about this and I'll be answering. Thanks, Sarah. We're gonna break for a few quick questions and then we'll move on to Frankie's section. Rebecca, I'm gonna to come to you first. This one is about CRO and where that fits in. Basically asking where does CRO fit in or conversion rate optimization with your SEO strategy? So alongside a successful SEO campaign, you should introduce conversion rate optimization or CRO, which is the process of taking as many site visitors to a desired goal uh, or outcome as possible. Essentially, you're not wasting the increased traffic that you've got from your SEO campaign. So through A-B testing different aspects of your website, you enable, it enables you to, to make data-driven decisions that allow you to get better results from, from your marketing efforts. And I think Frank's got a, a pretty good example of what we did to the um, the ASO network website. Conversion rate optimization. Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. The I presume the one where we we took the button on the homepage. I think it said something like "contact us," and it was in it was white with blue on it. We took it, we flipped it, we we, we ran a couple of different versions of it where we made it. Uh, well, we changed the text from "contact us" to "speak to an expert." And we changed the color to from white on blue to blue on red or white on red, I think. And the result was we actually had like a 10 times uplift of it. So it was not only like two or three times better, it produced 10x results on the um, the conversions that we were getting. So we get lots of traffic, but then how are we converting that traffic? And just doing this simple A-B test allowed us to become a lot more efficient with how, how we capture data and, and generate form fills. That was a really good quick win and it, it sounds pretty simple when you say it but until you've got the data to back it up you don't actually you don't actually know but once it's there there's no arguing with the data so yeah good one there's a really good question from chris uh he's asking he's saying we've always we always talk about the challenge of having attendees this is webinar attendees logged in versus locked in when it comes to webinars they're so accessible and mainstream now does that dilute their value couple of points so i don't believe it does dilute the value but a couple of things to think about is you might find that these days now they they are more available that the numbers you're getting might be slightly lower than previous years during the pandemic definitely even pre-pandemic potentially lower than that so you might find that some of the sort of the novelty of them has, has worn off but are they the sort of people you wanted to attend anyway what we found both internally and with client webinars as well as the people attending now are much more switched on to what we're doing or to what the client's doing they're more engaged in in the in the subject and they're for want of a better word better people to be attending the the webinar and this and the second thing is because there are more mainstream 
you've got their attention, you need to make sure you keep their attention. So ensure you've got extra steps, put on really good quality content and give them next steps so that they can continue to learn about your company. So yeah, really good question, Chris. There's a couple more here. At what point do we make it on demand and free to view almost? So so there's there's not even a form fill in. So there's different school of thought here. So if you want to continue to gather, depends what your objectives are. If you want to continue to gather customer insights, customer data, then you'd keep it behind a form as long as that's your, your main priority. If it comes to the point where you just want to get eyes on, then you'd remove any forms, get it on YouTube or Vimeo, embed it on your website, open access. So it depends very much on on what it is that you're looking to achieve. The majority of the time, people are looking to, to gather as much intelligent market intelligence as possible. So they'll keep it behind a form for up to 12 months. But if, you're, if your plan is to just to get eyes on and it's not necessarily a lead generator, then you'd use it, uh, like I said, Vimeo, YouTube, pretty much straight after. Yeah. And social snippets as well. So like have a good social breaking snippet. it out into yeah, well we'll do that with this. Uh well we would of course would have done more with this if we weren't all struck down with illness and traveling <laughs> beforehand. But that'll come, won't it? I don't think you could even tell any of us were sick so far. Um sorry, there's a question about emails. Maybe this is one for both of us. They're saying how many emails should you send per campaign? I guess it depends on the campaign and, and what it is you're promoting. Yeah. Exactly. It depends on how much time you have to promote it or how long you're looking to promote it. We find that three usually tends to be the sweet spot because then you can break it down in three main topics, each um, your campaign, and then focus each email on that one of them, different topics. More than three can feel a bit more spammy, can drive the subscribers towards that unsubscribe button and take that action. If they haven't registered or they haven't converted by the third email, I think that is a good point to just assume they're not interested in this time and continue nurturing through other ways. So I think I think three. And I'd recommend to space in at least one week. Leave out one week between each email sent. Perfect. And yeah, so we we talked about this before we came on air. So we started doing different things with webinar promotion. So email one would be sort of an overview of the event. Email two would delve a bit deeper into the the speakers uh, and the the sort of research they're going to be presenting, and then email three might be sort of about the audience and the key takeaways from what they can get from attending. So you can change up the content, the graphics, definitely the subject lines with each send. Then you're you're going to get better click throughs and better sign up results. Question here: This might be for Sarah and Rebecca. Rebecca, I think you're having a bit a few connection issues before, but hopefully we've got you back. Fabio's asking any insight on how to keep a good domain reputation or even to improve it yeah (laughs) so obviously it matters on sort of the domain authority of the links that are going to your website as well so if you've got bad backlinks you need to make sure that they're sort of being removed and uh, and tracked you can do that through things like SEMrush which tracks it for you and that that obviously makes it much easier for you to to stay on top of you can also sort of avoid black hat strategies which obviously <laughs> are gonna are gonna have negative sort of impact on your domain authority. I don't know if Sarah's got some more ideas. Yeah, I just said if you're if you're already working on your SEO and you're following sort of like the tick boxes that what you should be doing, Google is gonna have that take that into account. Same if you're working and creating any new pages and the new blogs and focusing your content on EAT that is over time improve, going to improve your domain authority. So 
create more content, create more relevant content can also improve, help improve your domain authority. So yeah. Just to add to that as well, Danny, you, well, make sure that you're not sharing a server with bad neighbors. These are points that you get from an SEO health check. This sounds like a perfect example for an SEO health check. Don't share a server with bad neighbors. So gambling sites, naughty sites, that kind of stuff. Also make sure that you have, like I say, uh, non-duplicate content. Make sure that you've got all your metadata in, in, in place and you can start to improve. Lots of little little things that you can do to incrementally improve. But there's about 50 data points on the SEO health check, which can actually spell out exactly what SEMrush tells you. So it, it, can, uh, it can certainly help there. We'll just take one more question, Frank, before we move on to yours. Brian's asking about any thoughts on using LinkedIn Live for webinars. And yes, Brian, there was some thoughts about doing it for this webinar, but then we all got sick, so we had to sack off those plans. But it is something we're actively looking at, and we'll probably test early 2023, so we'll be happy to share any feedback with you once we've once we've trialed that. And if it's something you've already done, send me a message in the chat and we can, we can discuss about it whilst Frankie's presenting in just a moment. Right, Frank, you're all set. Over to you. Cool. Thank you. So yeah, I'm going to talk about uh, big picture numbers and customer acquisition versus retention. The bad news for marketers was that 13% of respondents reported a decrease in sales. Uh, however, the good news is that 55% reported an increase with 13% greatly, you know, a great increase in sales um, on the previous year. So looking at the sales cycle, uh, the average sales cycle length or the medium was four to six months. And around about 15% of respondents reported um, a sales cycle of over 12 months. Uh, now, this highlights the importance of a steady and continuous marketing approach. So we're recording the customer journey, best practice in the CRM, etc. We'll come back to that, the CRM point in a sec. But moving on to the customer contact touch points, how many times do you contact a customer before the final sale? So 65% of people reported over four touch points whilst over a third had more than seven customer touch points with their, with their contact. And there's some commentary in the State of Scientific Marketing report, which is in the handout, about the importance of a single source of truth and having your customer journey available. You can understand exactly where they're at in any stage of the, the customer journey. Now, Salesforce, HubSpot, and Microsoft Dynamics have occupied the top three in that order for the last three or four years. So nothing's really changed there. Dominating the CRM landscape, and well, I think it's pretty uh, a known fact that CRM is a pretty sticky uh, software. So you probably, if you stick with us, if you buy a CRM, to start with, you tend to grow with it, and it becomes more and more important, and you you become more and more invested with it over time. Hence, why it, it hasn't really changed much up at the top there. But looking at when we combine combine that with the CRM with the analytics tool and look at the customer journey to where we look to attract, track, generate, and nurture leads uh, all the way along the sales cycle. I just want to think how many times um, as sales and marketing professionals have we committed the cardinal sin and not not recorded the key outcomes of a, of a uh, meeting? So if you're on your seventh meeting with a, an enterprise customer, you want to be able to easily digest the timeline and the actions of the previous six meetings. What was achieved from those meetings? Who were they with? The key decision makers? What were the key objections? Any needs analysis? As you sort of build up the picture of how a deal is going to manifest itself. But we've also got to compare that with the, the same people that you're meeting with, those prospects about their online activity. 
uh, this is where CRM and analytics software meet. So you can have the marketing data in your CRM right next to that, uh, the sales data, so that all of that online customer journey is right in, in the right place when you're having that, that seventh meeting and you've got all of that information to hand. So it's very important to be able to integrate all that information into a single source of truth. So moving on to lifetime value, customer value and customer acquisition cost, the beautifully named LTV to CAC ratio compares the value of a customer's overall lifetime value to the cost of acquiring them. So if we look at the next slide, we can see the average order value times number of lifetime orders will equal the lifetime customer value. Or this could be the average annual order times the average number of years that a customer is with you. In this instance, I've plugged some numbers in for $10,000 for an average order value and number of lifetime orders of five to give you 50,000. But this is just to give you some ballpark figures and, and show you how, how this, uh, this formula works. They're taking you back to some algebra from, from high school. We look at the next one, we're looking at customer acquisition cost. So this is the, the denominator. So with customer acquisition costs, we're looking at total marketing and total sales costs uh, divided by new customers acquired. So total marketing costs can be marketing salaries, LinkedIn campaigns, Facebook campaigns, CRM, marketing automation software, and all of those costs going into total marketing costs. Total sales costs being things like salaries, commissions, bonuses, trade shows, expenses, flights, hotels, etc. All of that gets bundled into total sales and marketing costs. And you divide it by new customers acquired, which in this case we have, well, we've put in a, a, well, a sort of textbook figure of a million for marketing costs. And of course, the salespeople get paid more. So they'll, they'll get two million for, for the total sales costs. And you divide that by the total number of new customers acquired. So one million plus two million is three. Three million divided by 100 is 30,000. The customer acquisition cost that we're looking at is 30,000. Lifetime customer value is 50,000. So that's a simplified version of that formula, which is if you do 50 over 30, it's 1.67. But we're just going to do a bit of algebraic magic here. This is the very same formula. Um, and the new customers at the bottom there, new customers acquired, because we're dividing twice or we're dividing the denominator by another divisor, if we flip that and put it up at the top, the formula remains in balance and remains the same. So we're looking at average order value times number of lifetime orders times new customers acquired. So if we take a step back, average order value times number of lifetime orders is the lifetime value of one solitary customer. If you multiply that by the number of customers, the 100 customers that we've, we've acquired, then that is the overall value of all customers, all new customers. And then we divide that by the total sales and marketing costs to get the LTV to CAC ratio of 1.67 here. Now, 1.67, uh, you say, what does that mean? Uh, we, well, it, just uh, to break down the numbers first, that's 5 million, 10,000 times five is 50,000 times 100, with, uh, 5 million divided by that same 3 million. So it's the same as 50,000 divided by 30,000. It's the same way of getting to the same uh, LTV to CAC ratio. What does 1.67 mean though? Well, it means that for every $1 of marketing you spend or sales and marketing you spend on acquiring a customer, it generates $1.67 of revenue. So the question is, would you spend a million to generate 1.67 million? Seems a little on the low side. So if we tweak the formula and we double the number of lifetime orders from five to 10, 
you can see in the formula there, or if you double any of the, of the, the figures on the numerator, or indeed if you halve the, the total sales and marketing costs, it plays with the formula accordingly. So in this instance, we're going to double the number of lifetime orders. So 10,000 times 10 times 100 is 10 million, divided by 3 million is 3.3 for a loan to value, LTV to CAT ratio, that is. So the question is, and I think we should have a magic poll launching, Danny, uh, would you spend 1 million to get 3.33 million? So whilst you answer that, I'd like to draw your attention to the, it's like a ruler we've got at the bottom, a scale. Uh, so if your LTV is one, then the acquisition cost is probably too high to be profitable. You're spending $1 to generate $1. Nobody goes into business to do that. Similarly, if you're two or if you're under three, it, it is too, it, it's on the low side. So it costs too much to generate new customers. If it's over four, however, the acquisition cost could be increased so that you can accelerate your growth. You can afford to spend more on sales and marketing because you've got a good formula where you've got real good chunky business and it doesn't cost you too much to acquire that business. So if you're up at four, five, six even, you probably do need to strategically spend more money on sales and marketing. So yeah, anybody who's under, I suppose, under the three mark, you've got to start to sort of streamline and think, right, which marketing channels are not working for me? Which ones are working for me? I can dial back on the ones that aren't working and I can I can really double down on the ones that are and you'll start to see your LTV to CAC improve. Okay, so that's the sweet spot. If we, how do we get the results of that poll, Danny? Yeah, so 72% have said yes, just 6% no. And then 22% not sure. Okay, so the majority saying they would, and then a few people saying no. So yeah, 6% saying no. Interesting. So again, it's strategically, it's up to you where you want to spend. But yeah, you probably want to be sort of between that three and four, maybe a bit more towards the four then, granted. But yeah, interesting to see. Cool. But moving on, if we look back at the customer acquisition cost, we know that it costs you 30K to generate a new customer that million, 1 million plus 2 million in sales and marketing costs divided by the 100 new customers gives you 30K. But the question is, how far would 30K go to retaining uh, existing customers? So we all know that it costs costs less to retain an existing piece of business than it does to generate a new, new piece of business. So acquiring a new customer, typically, this is from uh, research from Outbound Engine, costs five times more than retaining an existing one. We know that increasing customer retention by 5% increases profits by 25 to 95%. Granted, that is a bit of a, a, a large range there, but I think we, can, we know what they're trying to get at. If you can improve your retention by 5%, you're going you're gonna, to uh, reap the rewards in terms of profit because it's going to cost you far less to retain business and in, indeed grow, land and expand business in comparison to, retain, to uh, acquiring new customers. And of course, when you're speaking to new customers, you've got the existing relationships there. So if you know how people operate, you're already on their purchasing system, for instance, then the chances of success are naturally way higher for existing customers than they are for, for generating new customers, where there's all manner of reasons why a sale can fall through. So that brings us to the end of, well, at the end of uh, customer acquisition and revenue retention. If you've got any thoughts on the poll or, you know, whether you know your customer acquisition to um, your, your LTV to CAC value or any of the sort of the ratios that we've just covered, please do uh, pop them in the, in the chat and we'll uh, be happy to discuss them. 
perfect thank you thank you frankie before we move into the second q a so like frank said if you have any questions just jot those into the q a we've got sort of five to ten minutes to, to try and address as many as possible we have of course based all of this event on the market report that has been going on over the last few months if you haven't already downloaded a copy from the handout section do download it and uh, let us know what you think. Sara, there was a question about what other topic areas were covered in the market report. I'm just trying to think them off the top of my head, but as you've probably worked the closest on it, perhaps you're best to, to reel yeah. them off. Yeah, all sorts. What technologies are most in use, how much people are spending on their acquiring customers, how much people are spending on just a couple of salesy and more like customer retention and customer oriented questions. But also we have pages on trade shows, events, digital events, all aspects of marketing are covered in the report. Yeah, there's some really interesting stuff about trade shows, the virtual events, the webinars. So it seems like the virtual trade shows, obviously very much on the back burner now. And a lot of companies are sort of combining their webinar and trade show attendance to, to formulate their campaign. So here's yeah, some really interesting stuff in there. We've obviously only very much touched the service today. So do have a look at that and download your copy and let us know what you think. There has been a question. This is probably a compliment at you, Sarah, based on the graphics used on the slides, asking what design software you use. I, I know you've done a piece recently on on Canva, which I'm guessing is what was used for this. Yes, I'm very proud. I'm very happy to say I've designed the whole thing in Canva. I love Canva. There is a page about Canva in the market report because more and more marketers are taking that leap towards venturing to graphic design and that <laughs> side of marketing and creating collateral themselves. So I'm very happy to see that happen. And I just very happy to recommend Canva and tell you you can make things as the report. So it's a very complete tool. And I'm have I'm they not, got you on commission yet, Sarah? I'm, I'm going to say, yeah. yeah very passionate well, about Canva. What, what's I, your favourite thing about Canva, Sarah? It's just how easy and seamless it is to use. Because, of course, you can. I can go into discussing Illustrator versus Canva because I do a lot of Illustrator. And I know Illustrator can be great for very custom things. But if you're, as me, a busy marketer, lots of projects, juggling lots of designs and collateral, just... Hop onto Canva. You, it's so much time saving. Please, yeah. if, if you take anything from, from this uh, from this event, hop onto Canva, create an account, and start playing around because it's, it's yeah. going to help you a lot. And when they ask you where did you hear about us, make sure you put Sarah Azo Network, and then she can use that to get her commission next time. <laughs> um, well, Frankie, what about if we open that up? Sorry, sorry, Danny, I was going to open it up. What's your favorite your favorite Marcom's favorite part of your Martech stack? For me, it's Salesforce. I think that's I'm the Salesforce nerd at nerd at Azo Network. I just think it can do so much from from the uh, commissions and sales numbers to you know marketing and all the dashboards that we've got to project management tool. There's there's lots of different parts of Salesforce that you don't even realize that you've got until until somebody opens your eyes. Basically, I think I, I there's there's lots of parts of Salesforce that even I don't know about, but every day is a school day, and I always find something find out something new about it. What about you guys, Rebecca, Danny? I would say probably SEM Rush, but not for the SEO side, just because I'm less involved with the with that for the ASO Network site. But the content creation tools are incredible. <laughs> A software that you can kind of run blog posts and, and articles through, and it'll basically tell you what you need to do to make it as sort of SEO happy as 
as possible and you get a little a little score in a circle so you feel like you feel like you do, you're playing a bit of a game while you're making the changes millennials and their instant gratification <laughs> i'll have to say big marker just because we're on big marker right now and they're listening in but that, that's the webinar platform we use and um, in it every day so we've become very close over over the last few years there was a question frankie about trade shows and just generally about sort of the levels of participation we've seen at the shows this year i think you've probably been to the most so how's it compared to sort of since the pandemic's sort of finishing, how has it been people getting back back to normal? Yeah, it's grown steadily. It was that question that we weren't sure about whether, you know, because we can all work from home and everybody can, I suppose, to a degree, do their job from home, very task focused. But with people, like people buy people, don't they? And you want to get out there and have that moment of serendipity um, uh, <laughs> exhibited at a few trade shows. And been pleasantly surprised we've actually had some of our best days ever at trade shows even even pre-pandemic be very complimentary of, of the, both the footfall and the number of exhibitors as well so you know, people buy people people want to get out and and see the whites of people's eyes shake hands and and actually get to know pe- the people that they're they're looking to buy from so yeah i'd say the trade shows are back uh obviously we had the sort of poor substitute of having to to do virtual events which was not quite as well, possibly a bit frustrating, but I think uh, everybody's happy to see the last two years behind them. Yeah, so similar. So I've been to a few as well, and it seems almost like it was before. I think there's still obviously uh, some differences, and people are reallocating resources and, and budgets elsewhere. But yeah, there seems to be good good footfall and good good people at the events. Rebecca, there is a question about SEO, and it's about the blog writing. They're, they're basically asking, is blog writing involved in seo campaigns with azo and if so what are they based on are they sort of top of the funnel middle of the funnel how does it work if you've got any thoughts on that if not i've sat in enough seo meetings i can probably share a few ideas as well yeah blog posts are involved in the seo side with seo uh with azo network sorry it might be it might be a better question for you danny because i'm <laughs> yeah so i'll just reel off whatever I, I'm always hearing. Basically, yeah, blog writing is involved and there's obviously a lot that goes on beforehand. So the keyword research, the understanding of your customers, et cetera, et cetera. But when they've put together the the blogs they're going to write, they base it on levels of intent. So one piece might be an educational piece. One piece might be a sort of bottom of the funnel. So say they're doing 10 for you over a five-month period, there'll be a combination of top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, blog pieces that have an internal linking strategy. So they're all working together to go after the same keywords and to acquire the customers. So yes, is the answer to the question, I believe. And if any of our SEO team is listening, I hope I answered that correctly. Frankie, there's a good one about calculating CAC. They're asking, are people recording the total hours spent on communication with a prospective customer? For us, lead time for a new customer is over a year, so tracking this between team members would be a huge challenge. Yeah, well, because it's total sales and total marketing costs, it is taking not just total hours spent on communication with the client, but it, it's, it's basically taking their cost as being the, the entire cost of their salaries, uh, everything it costs to employ them, national insurance, all of the costs, commissions, bonuses, etc. So you, you take that and you, you take... I don't know, four marketing salaries and you've got 10 sales salaries that's the cost of i suppose it can, can be quite a harsh measure in, in some some regards but that, that's the total cost divided by the total number of new customers that you've got i suppose you could change it and 
and maybe look specifically at people who are focusing on new business or new customers, I suppose the important thing I'd say to note would be just be consistent so that you're, you're, you're comparing apples with apples relatively uh, as you're looking to improve that number. What we use for profitability on customers for that is actually Toggle, which is allows us to basically tag a project or a product against a customer and then say, Danny, Tara, you guys have been working customer facing. So you'll tag you'll tag a webinar against client A so that by the time we do the reports, we are able to see that Danny's done 10 hours, Tara's done three hours on client A, and then we're able to calculate profitability from there. But that's a slightly different conversation to the CAC one. Yeah, I think what you said is the key is that there are slightly different ways of calculating it, but be consistent year on year so you or month on month so you can compare and you can see see how you're measuring up. We've pretty much run through all, all the questions, I think. If anyone wants to understand more, then please do check out those handouts. You've got all the ebooks, uh, all the market reports. Uh, you can connect with us on LinkedIn. There's extra webinar resources. Uh, there's all sorts in there. You can also visit azonetwork.com where we have a, a we have a learning hub with all of our webinars, podcasts, three new podcasts coming out very soon, which are I think are already out. Or one's out. One is out. One is out. First one is out. <laughs> a couple more will be going live before Christmas. So yeah, do check those out. And well, I guess on behalf of everyone at Azo Network, I want to wish everyone a very happy holiday season, and we'll see you all in the new year. Thank you.